0: Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, producer and host Janine Maloff. Well, (laughs) there's a lot to talk about this week, and I'm going to do my best to try and bring some justice to all this mess. All right, you know, before I did the journalism thing, both in print and now on broadcast, uh, I was an educator, I was a teacher. specifically a speech-language pathologist, for 30 years in St. Louis City Public Schools, big urban uh, urban school district, and I'm very proud of that fact. And through the years, you know, you always hear children talk about, when you ask, you know, did you get your homework done, you hear invariably the oldest, most brain-dead excuse. And when a child offers it, you know, you can... You can kind of laugh at it, bite your tongue, and then correct them. But when a series of adults of alleged responsible professionals offers basically the rhetorical equivalent of the dog ate my homework, I have some major issues with it. So this week, we're talking about the ultimate, the dog ate my homework excuse, and this is regarding the Texas power outages, okay? And, you know, as we know, Texas has been having some major power blackouts. And it's it's coincided with massive storms and a cold snap that Texans really aren't used to. And this particular, if you look at the actual title I gave this segment, I call it Texas Power Outages Caused by Greed and Deregulation. And it's true. You know, the, the recent, the, these, these power blackouts in Texas, did not happen in a mysterious vacuum. They were engineered to happen for, in my opinion, one specific cause to increase demand and allow for skyrocketing price-gouged profits. The energy industry serving Texas has been deregulated for many years now, and it's not part of any federal grid. That was their choice. Frankly, I think it's a foolish choice, but it was their choice. Now the blackout has resulted in households, when they get power, receiving power bills in the thousands of dollars for one month. And this is for shoddy, undependable service. Now, there's no way the average household is going to use thousands of dollars of power legitimately. But that's what's happened, and we're going to tell you why. So those of you who believe this was due to a recent oversight, you're just plain wrong. All right. This has been in the making for quite a while, tracing its origins in part to a couple of different laws. One signed by then President um, George H. W. Bush in '92, and another in 1999 signed by then Governor George W. Bush. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, you know, we we have this segment usually on the show where it's environmental heroes, zeros, and villains, and we're talking this week about environmental villains. There's no other way to put it, and they're in Texas right now. And, frankly, there's so many, but we'll focus on a few major figures, some you've heard of, some you haven't, maybe some you forgot about, so here we go. So the first environmental villain, I feel we should have a drum roll here or something, Jerry Jones, owner of the Dallas Cowboys and, coincidentally, or not coincidentally, the majority stockholder for a firm called Comstock Resources. Then we have number two, Roland Burns, somebody you probably haven't heard of. He is Comstock Resources Incorporated President and CFO. CFO meaning Corporate Financial Officer. And you almost have to really consider Roland Burns and Jerry Jones together. Then we have the late President George H.W. Bush, who signed into law in 1992 um, this this law that would, quote, deregulate the energy industry, and that set the stage for future abuses, in my opinion. And then you have then-governor of Texas, George W. Bush, who went on to become president shortly thereafter. He signed another, uh, what I consider more egregious law in 1999, which allowed energy producers to charge any price they want based on the market. And you think, well, nobody's going to get a bill for their maybe small house for 7000 or $10,000 one month. Eh, Wrong. It happened. Happened just this past month. And then you have some more minor players. Now, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, former Texas Governor Rick Perry, who was Trump's energy secretary for a hiccup. And a host of what I'll call associated other GOP con artists and liars. So let's talk about the first villain of this crisis, Jerry Jones, owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, you have to keep this in perspective here. Not only is Texas having these rolling blackouts, but it's resulted in a lot of other problems, too, so that a lot of Texans don't have drinkable water right now that's safe to drink. Uh, Their food has, has spoiled. I mean, people are in some serious trouble down there. So let's see what these people have to say about this while they profiteer. So there was a piece, and it was run in, um, let me see now, uh, in Sports Illustrated. So you can't say this is a liberal whatever. And it was written by Michael Rosenberg a few days ago. And the headline is, as Texas freezes, Jerry Jones does what he's always done. The, The subtitle is the power outages and gas shortages in Texas. Provided Jones and his company an opportunity to profit, and he took it. Keep in mind, this is Sports Illustrated, folks. So, Mr. Rosenberg, the writer, goes into it and he explains how Jerry Jones is a billionaire for a lot of reasons. Maybe he has some business acumen, he's got luck, but you get the the writer's kind of implying that one of the re- biggest reasons is that quote Jerry Jones has quote the willingness to do things like jack up the price of natural gas at a time when the people of Texas need it most, end quote. And I agree with that. You know, basically Mr. Rosenberg from Sports Illustrated is saying that, you know, Jerry Jones basically is having his, well, he has his Marie Antoinette career basically. All right. You know, you're cold. Well, run around in the snow for a little bit. That's basically what he's saying. Texans have gone days without power or heat. And this has to do with a company that Jerry Jones is the majority stockholder, and it's a shale driller called Comstock Resources Inc. It's publicly traded, and according to NPR, uh, it has been selling gas at quote super premium prices. Okay, that's that. You get a, uh, a get you get basically a power bill for your little house. It's seven thousand dollars for the month. That's what we're talking. About. We're talking about. You know, it's robbery without putting a gun to your head. And Roland Burns, who's the other guy I mentioned, who's Comstock's president CFO, said on a Wednesday earnings call that quote, "It's been like quote, hitting the jackpot." End quote. These people are vile. All right, they they are heartless. Whatever they can get away with. I mean, frankly, they make they make a hitman from the the old Italian mafia. They'd probably be blushing now. This is so vile. But to, to Jerry Jones, according to Sports Illustrated, this is the way he does business, okay? Uh, you know, where basically there's another billionaire claiming that not paying taxes, quote, makes him smart. Uh, and, you know, he's explaining Jerry Jones doesn't need the money. He has plenty of money. This is about keeping score. And I would maintain that a lot of the billionaire class who definitely have more money than God. That's if God keeps pocketbook, anyway. Uh, They don't need the money. This is about greed, and I would venture to say that a lot of these billionaires are addicts. Their society is being run by a bunch of addicts, and their fix, their drug of choice, is money-powered, basically greed. So they go on to talk about how the citizens of Arlington, Texas, um, contributed $325 million to fund the stadium, the new stadium, they call it Jones's Playhouse, which is known as AT&T Stadium. And that Jerry Jones pays the city back $2.5 million per year to operate out of the stadium. Taxpayers got ripped. And like most of these board stadiums, they're sold to people by these the sports owners as being this, this huge job generator, but they usually generate minimum wage jobs. And, you know, it's basically welfare for the rich with the taxpayer picking up the tab. And this is no different. So, you know, again, when Jones wanted to make a stadium deal many years ago, he used football player Roger Staubach um, to try and talk about how, you know, he's is fan loyalty to build this stadium face it, Jerry Jones is just another slimy con artist. The only difference, in my opinion, between him and the average con artist on the street is the cut of his suit. So once again, Comstack Resources, he's the majority stockholder, and they're selling gas at prices ranging from $15 per 1,000 cubic feet to $179 per 1,000 cubic feet. That's a markup, according to Sports Illustrated. That's a markup of between 600% and 7,500% over pre-crisis levels. Okay, this is pure price gouging, racketeering. He doesn't need $7,000 markup. It's nonsense. And the people need that, need the gas desperately. So once again, Sports Illustrated, of all things, is calling him out. Now we have a piece from The Intercept. Lee Fong wrote, of fossil fuel uh, execs gloating. And once again, Comstock is a shale drilling company. Um, they did apologize after they got caught, that is, for talking about gas prices as a, you know, com- they, as, a, as a jackpot. Okay. Roland Burns, once again, chief exec and CFO of Comstock Resources, was gloating. Again, earlier he said, obviously this week is, was like hitting the jackpot. Talking about, you know, the prices going way up again because of the storm and the gas outages. Uh, he went on to say that price for gas, you know, has been quote incredible. Okay. Then we have we hear from Marshall McRae, who is the co-chief executive of Energy Transfer, which is a pipeline firm. And you need pipelines to transport this shale gas. It's it's it takes more time than I have to explain. And uh, basically, they told, McRae told investors a week ago that his company has been, quote, been able to benefit, okay? Um, and they're benefiting, according to McRae, and capitalized on, quote, very strong commodity prices, okay? And when, when energy transfers reached for comment, McRae's comments, they said, were pretty clear, now we get back to Ronald Mills, who's the Vice President of Investor Relations at Comstar Resources. And he issued kind of a backhanded apology. That is, after these billionaire monsters show their true and cruelly in different colors. So, you know, he said the company apologizes using the, the tasteless word of jackpot to describe what happened in Texas. He goes out, he's quoted as saying, quote, that description was inappropriate and insensitive to the millions of Texans, that did not have electricity or power, including many of our own employees who suffered through the same since we are based in the Dallas area. End quote. Oh, well, that was nice of them. But did any of them do anything to make this more reasonable? The answer is no. So the price of natural gas skyrocketed because when the blackouts occurred, <clears throat> power plants. And industrial consumers, as well as, you know, basically the average homeowner, were scrambling to get anything, any power source power at all. And the uh, Intercept piece talks about how Macquarie Group, which is an investment bank, and apparently this investment ga- bank is the second biggest physical gas supplier in the U.S. Macquarie Group reported a windfall, windfall profit of $210 million from just the swing in gas and electric prices, just in this little time period. So, oops, sorry about that. And the company also owns something called Gritty, which is a residential energy utility. And Gritty has billed customers throughout this, this, whole, in this whole nonsense last couple of weeks. They billed customers as much as $16,752 and $8,000 just in recent days. Nobody can afford that. That's insane. Uh, McRae, who once again is, um, you know, with this company, uh, he also said there was an upside to the Texas storm. Quote: Just over the last four or five days, the number one thing that everyone is rec- everybody's recognizing. I've already said, and we all know on this call how important fossil fuels are for this country in this world. End quote. So then we have this big mess, right? And the average Texan has no protection at all. And then you have Republicans getting on the airwaves, getting on Fox, getting on Tucker Carlson. Texas Governor Greg Greg Abbott said on Fox that the storm proved the Green New Deal wasn't gonna work. Uh, Rick Perry tried to blame renewable energy and windmills for the problem. He talked to Sean Hannity Perry was quoted as saying, uh, the Sean Havity left quote last week in Texas, as people are losing their power, thank God we have fossil fuels in the state, because if all we had was the AOC Green New Deal plan, wind and solar, we would have had a master, massive disaster on our hands. Now, okay, besides the utter stupidity of Rick Perry's commentary, if you can call it that, and, you know, let's say Rick Perry, in my opinion, is stupid, but there was a lot of lies in that statement. You know, first of all, cause of the blackout had nothing to do with renewable sources of energy. It had everything to do with some other issues. And, you know, what happened basically was this, deregulation that allowed the, the energy industry, whether it's fossil fuel or not, to decide whether or not they were just going to do routine maintenance and weatherization you know anybody who drives a car you know if that oil check oil light comes on check engine you're supposed to stop the car right make sure you have plenty of oil when wintertime hits you're supposed to make sure you have plenty of the right kind of antifreeze in your car so you don't destroy your motor this is no different if you don't winterize these supply lines and these plants then in this cold, they're not going to work. And that is part, that's part of the price of legitimately doing business, doing the routine maintenance, which they hadn't done in God knows how long. And the Public Utility Commission of Texas in 2014 did try and propose some rules that would require power plants to identify and address what they call nicely weather design limits. Okay? Let's face facts. These companies didn't do the maintenance. That's it. They're at fault. It's no mystery here. And they were allowed to get away with it because, again, it's all voluntary. And because of a few changes in law, it really allowed them also to have every incentive to keep things in such a sad, sad state no, excuse me, sad state of disrepair so they could jack the prices way up again just for doing the routine maintenance, okay? That's really all it boils down to. Um, And so anyway, going back to the Hannity segment that Rick Perry did, um, you know, after Perry was a blip on the screen for Trump as Secretary of Energy, he joined the Board of Energy Transfer, a part-time position he gets stock and cash awards and basically about 175000 a year. And that was according to a filing from the Securities and Exchange Commission. So, you know, he has a conflict of interest right there. Okay, he's not going to tell us what we need to know. Now, there was another piece from Truthout by Sharon Zhang. And again, it goes into it more. And they're talking about how the real failure was the fact that natural gas companies failed to weatherize their equipment. Okay. The fact is, natural gas, when it's flowing in the pipelines like that, if cold weather hits, it's not going to flow anymore. That's it. Um, so once again, we have wholesale gas prices in Texas that have gone up nearly 300-fold. That was according to Fox. Um, again, they mentioned this one man whose bill shot up to over, according to Daily Beast, up over this one man's bill shot up to over $8,000 over a two-day period. $8,000 power bill for two days? Meanwhile, everybody's trying to find, you know, power. They're trying to find food. They have boil water advisories. But does that bother Jerry Jones, the majority stockholder of Comstock Resources? Of course not. He's hitting a jackpot. And I know, I'm being sarcastic. You you have to be, okay? This is so egregious. It's so obvious. It is pathetic, okay? There's just n- no other way to put it. And, you know, Texans will probably have to pay out of pocket, all right? Uh, the Texas Public Utility Commission is supposed to really be like a, a watchdog over util- electric prices. And they stated, according to um, KHOU, that, quote, energy prices should reflect scarcity of the supply. Okay? You know, that's a lot like what a drug dealer does when you think about it. If you're looking for a certain fix and it's hard to get, price is going to go sky high. The psychology is no different here. And there's no protection, no meaningful protection for people who live in Texas. Now, I'm proud to say... So just this past week, my U.S. Congresswoman, Cori Bush, called out this profiteering, this, this thievery by groups like Comstock. And she said they shouldn't be allowed to basically hold a gun to the average person's head for public utilities like water and power and that it should be, that water and power should be guaranteed to all. And that was on her Twitter account. She also tweeted that, quote, corporations shouldn't be allowed to profit off our suffering. Utilities need to be public goods. And all I can say is, amen, so proud of my girl. Okay, now we have more about winterization. From Forbes, okay, hardly a liberal bastion. The story about the painfully obvious, inconvenient truth, namely that cost-cutting strategies were obtained by cutting routine maintenance of power lines and power equipment. In essence, like I said before, you wouldn't run your car nonstop if the check oil, check engine light was on, or if it was zero degrees and your car would run out of antifreeze. But well, that's basically what Texas power companies did with the power grid. And this is a, a piece from the Center for Energy Studies. It's titled, it was just released a few days ago, Winterization and the Texas Black House, Fail to Prepare, Prepare to Fail. This came out of Fort Worth. And it's written by Jim Crane, Robert E. and Peter Volkmark. And they say, you know, look, it's been unusually cold, cold in February in Texas. So why are people, you know, why do people in Ohio or even France have power and heat when Texans don't? And they said, quote, in a word, winterization. And they point out the fact that most places prepare for the cold. They protect their critical infrastructure from freezing up. Texas doesn't. Winterizing equipment outside of Texas. Outside of Texas, we have governments and regulatory agencies. They may not be the best, but they require that winterization occur and they also incentivize our power distributors. Um, you know, including equipping wind turbines with heating elements to de ice their blades and gearboxes. Other regulators require gas valves. And let's see, it says wellheads or power plant water intakes to also have de-icing protection. Again, it's the equivalent of putting antifreeze in your car. They're doing an antifreeze winterization on power lines and power equipment. But not Texas. Here's what happened. Cold weather precautions in Texas are recommended, but they are not required. So... You can call it deregulation, lax regulation, but because it is not required, you know the profit motive means that it won't happen, and catastrophic failure was bound to happen. And when you think about it, the competitive nature of deregulation in Texas really discourages the added cost of winterization. So people in Texas, when they look to see what kind of energy yield they want, they can have something that's a little more dependable and pay a higher price, or they can gamble that the price will remain low. And this is nonsense. So in in Texas, the main source of power is natural gas. It basically generates about half of Texas power. So the gas lines, they fell victim to two problems, frozen pipes and power outages and they were detailed uh rbn energy explained in a 2013 study in conjunction with ERCOT. Uh frozen pipes are freeze offs well it's not hard to figure out if your pipes aren't properly insulated guess what it's going to freeze they go into more detail saying it can happen anywhere from the wellhead to the separator plant it can happen along gathering transmission and distribution lines all the way to the power plant. You can go into mechanics. I'm not going to do all that. It made it worse because Texas had a dramatic expansion in shale-directed fracking, and that's what Comstock does. And so that in, that is production of liquids-rich or wet gas. And that liquid-rich wet gas contains what are called freeze-prone gas hydrates, when the hydrates freeze, it's much more difficult to melt than, say, the most hardened ice. And so it's a well known issue, especially in northern areas, but Texas ignored it. So you have that problem, all right? You have just massive failure. So how, could this have been prevented and how? Sure, it could have been. You have producing states like North Dakota, for instance, very cold weather along the Bakken Shale, but they installed heating elements to prevent freeze-ups, especially on critical equipment. RBN said that northern producers also have a practice of injecting methanol into the product to prevent those hydrates from freezing. ERCO, which is their little regulatory thing, said these remedies are routinely ignored in Texas. OK, ERCOT said in 2013, quote, with gas prices being low and storage being full, the risk of two to three days of possible freeze off every several years is a risk that Gulf Coast producers have been willing to take. It is a trade-off between lost revenue from lost production versus lost revenue from higher annual operating costs needed to freeze protect individual wells. And there's also a lack of on-site fuel storage. Most gas plants in Texas and actually throughout the U.S., depend on what are called just-in-time fuel deliveries on the pipeline network, okay? There are countries that hold months, several months' worth of supply of gas. Latvia does it because they get gas imports from Russia, and they store a two-year supply in advance. But this can cost tens of millions of dollars. But once again, it was Greed. Now, as for that bad, those bad renewables, wind turbines, they generate about 23% of Texas electricity in 2020. Now, their wind generators had, a, had their problems with ice. Okay, uh, on really bitter cold days, the turbine and its gearbox lubricant can freeze or the blades can be covered with ice. There are technologies to remedy this. There's heating elements that you can embed below the blade surfaces. And within the turbine and gearbox, these particular items are used in Wisconsin, Canada, Denmark, and Sweden, and that allows wind turbines to continue to produce electricity at temperatures all the way down to 22 degrees, 22 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. So I'd say that they work. Once again, in Texas, they didn't want to put the investment in. This was about making a fast profit. That's all. And if people got hurt, that was the cost of doing business. Jerry Jones and people like him are sure felt that it was acceptable collateral damage. The fact that 70 people died to Jerry Jones, to um, Governor Abbott, it's acceptable collateral damage. And they they should hang their heads in shame, but (laughs) good luck with that. Uh, winterization packages like this are estimated to add about 5% to the cost of a turbine. Okay, but it's not a big deal really. Um, Vanessa Tudos, uh, the, Houston, uh, the director, former Director of Government Affairs for EDT Renewables North America was quoted saying, quote, right now it's up to the private wind company to decide whether to invest in winterization. Turbine vendors offer winterization package options when you're trying to offer customers the lowest price possible for clean energy, the additional cost is not insignificant. And it's not the newer technology right now. So, wind turbines are, a lot of them are not fully winterized. Um, but there's also another option, manual de-icing. And that's done by spraying chemicals, climbing up the tower. You know, kind of like, um, you know, when you spray that, um, was it, DW40? on the lock of your car to de-ice it. What about nuclear and coal? They had water intake freeze-ups as well. Okay? And the scarier part is about nuclear. One of two reactors at the South Texas Project nuclear plant, plant tripped offline. Okay? The problem is this. The cold weather caused a false signal to shut down a feed water intake. And it tripped a pump offline and then the entire generating unit. You don't ever want a nuclear plant to just go down because eventually the spent fuel will go critical. You have to have enough water. So I'm not going to get into all that, but it's a dangerous thing. So this, what about demand? Okay, so the demand in Texas was up. Okay, and ERCOT, their, you know, their version of public service you know, committee, they were unprepared, okay, Um, and the demand was taking place in the the peak was happening in the middle of the night, which is usually a low period. Um, So, you know, once again, we have some problems here. You can read this, this report by Forbes, Um, Jim Crane is the Wallace S. Wilson Fellow for Energy Studies at Rice University's Baker Institute. Robert Udell is a Graduate Fellow for Energy Studies at Rice University's Baker Institute. And Peter Bokmar is a Postdoctoral Fellow in Energy Transitions at Rice University's Baker Institute. All right, so let's go on again. So who controls the power grid in Texas? Okay, well... Texas doesn't really belong to any one power grid. The other 47 47 states do. Um, You know, at least you know in the mainland United States, not Texas. ERCOT, as I mentioned before, is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. They manage the state's power grid. They're a non-for-profit, but they do function independent of the state's government. Um, the corporation is overseen by a Public Utility Commission of Texas, but their members are appointed by the state's governor. So in a way, this goes back to Governor Abbott, too. So Texas is the only state in the country except for Alaska and Hawaii Hawaii, that aren't part of either the eastern interconnection or the western interconnection. Those are the two main power grids. So basically, if, if Missouri has a problem, they're hooked into other power grids so they can get assistance. Texas decided to go alone. And why? They wanted to evade federal regulations, period, so that their big money people could make more money. Uh, Bill Magnus, who's the CEO of ERCOT, called Texas, quote, an electrical island in the United States. Okay? Now, there are a few outliers. El Paso uh, joined the Western Interconnection. They got smart. Why are so many people without power? Part of it is, ERCOT turned off the power for millions of customers, and that was after several power plants shut down, and they shut down because of below freezing temperatures and lack of winterization. And ERCOT said they had the choice was either to shut down power to customers or risk a total collapse of the Texas grid in its entirety. Okay. Now, critics have said that the Texas energy market incentivized cheap prices at the cost of delaying maintenance and improving power plants. Okay? So, you know, once again, this is something that has been allowed to happen. Um, Ed Harris, who's an energy fellow at the University of Houston, was quoted by the Washington Post saying that ERCOT, quote, limped along on underinvestment and neglect until it finally broke under predictable circumstances. So... Did renewable energy play a role in the grid's malfunction, as many GOPers insist? No, it didn't, okay? The fact is, the state of Texas relies most heavily on natural gas, not on renewables, period. All right? Um, So, what are officials doing to prevent future blackouts? Good question. All right? Uh, I think that Governor Abbott, he's calling for an investigation into ERCOT, okay? But notice, Governor Abbott's not investigating the privateers, not investigating Comstock, not investigating energy transfer partners, investigating the group that's charged with begging them to do what they're supposed to do. So Rick Perry, who's a former governor of Texas, who also was Trump's energy secretary until twenty nineteen, said the most ludicrously stupid thing. I'm gonna use a Texas accent because I just I wanna rub salt in the wound. I I don't know how Rick Perry got to his place of prominence because he is so incredibly incompetent. But you know what it's one of those people that fails upward. Perry said, quote, Texans, I'll say with it. Texans would be without electricity for longer than three days to keep the federal government out of their business. That was quoted by the Guardian. Again, you can't make up this kind of ignorance. And why did this happen? Refusal by these companies to do proper winterization and do the, the proper maintenance that is part of their end of the deal okay that's part of the product they're selling they're not just selling natural gas for instance or electricity they are providing the vessel that transports it to your house and if their method of transport hasn't been maintained and it costs you more money they should have to pick up the tab not you But the fact that power companies in Texas can price gouge during emergency on top of it and get away with it, no criminal charges, no RICO violations, only serves as further incentive to maintain such failed service. And this goes back, now we're getting back to the two President Bushes and the late Ken Lay, Enron, God. Greg Palast, noted journalist. He just put out a piece, Texas gets laid, L-A-Y-D. He loves, loves his jokes. How the Bush family turned off the lights. And I'm going to read the first little paragraph here. Maybe be, quote. Maybe because Texas gave us that wet-lipped huckster, Ted Cruz, you think the state deserves to freeze in the dark. I get that, but it's not their fault. At least not the victims burning family heirlooms to stave off frostbite. Okay, end quote. He quotes power distribution expert attorney, Beth Emery, who said, quote, what happened was entirely predictable. And Palace goes on to say that Beth Emery told him this 20 years ago after the first blackouts occurred, both in Texas and California, and this was what he called following the cruel experiment called deregulation. This is something a lot of millennials and Zers don't realize. Until 1992... We had some of the lowest and most we had some of the most dependable electricity, the most reliable system in the world, and the lowest electricity prices. So what happened? Enter George H. W. Bush, president. He began to deregulate the industry in the last days of his presidency. And Pallist calls it out and says deregulate is not really what it is. It's decriminalized. That's what really describes it best. And Palest is right. It isn't just deregulate. What these energy producers are doing is criminal. It's fraud. You know, part of the deal, when you buy power from them, is that the way they deliver the power is going to be effective and safe and that the equipment is properly maintained. That's part of their responsibility. And when they fail to do the maintenance and it jacks up the price to you or puts you in danger, then yes, that's fraud on their part. So Pallas is right. This isn't deregulation. It's decriminalization. And the free market setting the price. Okay? And here comes Enron. And Enron was set free after 92 to use techniques such as, quote, ricochet, get shorty, and death star. And the idea was, it sent the prices of energy through the roof, okay, especially when there was any sort of power shutdown. Well, Enron wasn't the only one. Houston Power and Light ramped things up, too. But And whistleblowers have said that this jacking up the prices was deliberate. Of course it was. So that's part one. Then part two, George W. Bush, who was governor of Texas right before he becomes president. And Palace was to call referred him as Shrub. He signed the law as governor in 1999, get this, quote, forcing the states to accept any price the free market dictated. I'll say it again. George W. Bush as governor in 1999, right before he came into the Oval Office, signed a second law in which, quote, forced the states to accept any price the free market dictated. This is in Texas. And, of course, Ken Lay loved it, and he became Baby Bush's number one donor for W. Now we're fast forward to 2021. Wholesale electric prices in Texas are normally about $50 a megawatt hour. They jacked all the way up to over $9,000 per megawatt hour how does that happen legitimately it doesn't okay again this jacking up of prices happens with every cold snap and heat wave okay there was a shop owner named Aquila Scott Amos showed the Daily Beast electric bills which went from thirty four dollars a month to four hundred and fifty dollars for one day. Now the balance Aquila Scott Amos owns owes is eleven thousand dollars, eleven thousand forty eight dollars and seventy five cents. Over eleven thousand dollars due to surge pricing. Now how is this not a RICO violation, regardless of the nineteen ninety-nine law that allows them to do this? This is obvious racketeering. You know, it's, the, it's the equivalent of where you go into the grocery store, you buy a bag of oranges. The price is clearly indicated. All right, $4.99. You go to pay for it. Oh, ma'am, there's a greater, greater demand now. That Those oranges aren't going to cost you $4.99. No, they're going to cost you $400. There's nothing legitimate about any of this. Texas Governor Greg Abbott can blame windmills all he likes, but he knows he's lying. And but let's face it, being part of the GOP—you remember that old line from that old movie Love Story? You see, love means never having to say you're sorry. I would say being Republican means never having to tell the truth. This is outrageous. And. Palis goes back further. In 1999, I'm mean, sorry, in 1998, he predicted that California, Texas, Oregon, and Rio de Janeiro would go dark and cold. That is if they deregulated their power markets. Okay. Now, Palis also lectures at some very renowned universities. Okay, and we're not talking University of Phoenix. Palis lectured on this subject at the Cambridge University's London School of Economics, as well as the University of Sao Paulo. And he said what he calls a screamingly obvious quote. This is Palast. There is no such thing as a free market in electricity. Electricity isn't a bagel. You can't skip it in the morning when the price goes berserk, nor shop at another electricity store, end quote. And he's right. So Palast also went on to say, quote, the alternative to blackouts and price gouging is democracy. So obvious, right? To quote Pallas further, he went on to say, quote, regulation is merely the enforcement of publicly voted rules to protect the public from economic overlords." Wow. It, It just seems so obvious. I mean, once again, why are these power companies, getting away with what can only be called criminal racketeering, obvious violations of the RICO laws, the federal law. Why are governors like Greg Abbott allowed to do nothing? You talk about criminal negligence, here it is. So, Callis went a little further and he talked about FDR. Because Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a man who really gave a great part of America electricity for the first time, especially in rural areas. So listen to him. This is FDR. Quote, to the people of our country, I have but one answer on this subject. Judge me by the enemies I have made. Judge me by the selfish selfish purposes of these utility leaders who have talked of radicalism while they were selling watered stock to the people and using our schools to deceive the coming generation. My friends, my policy is as radical as the Constitution of the United States. I promise you this, never shall the federal government part with its sovereignty or with its control of its power resources while I'm President of the United States. Because like it or not, that power, just like the water, belongs to all of us. These companies are transporting it. It doesn't belong to them. And FDR did more than just make pretty speeches to serve as an example he arrested. He had the nation's top utility executive arrested, criminally arrested, and then they busted up his holding companies. We have to democrat. We have to turn our power grid into something that is democratically run. You know, people don't understand. In the 1930s, when Roosevelt was president, most of the United States didn't have any electric service. Roosevelt brought that, and. These were publicly owned systems, and they provided cheap, reliable, non-for-profit power to about a fifth of the United States. We have to have it again. And, you know, Palace is really funny. You know, he he talked about some of his former professors, um, two of which were Milton Friedman and George Stigler. And um, apparently both economists considered for formally regulated and publicly owned power systems or utility systems. The problem was that they were too reliable. Okay. Now I have to wonder why any honest and sane person who isn't a billionaire and isn't a dishonest crook would ever listen to Milton Friedman on anything. If that was his, his true opinion, he was literally saying then unless you have enough money, you don't have a right to have a decent standard of life. These are the same people that are also saying you don't have a right to a living wage. This has got to stop, folks. It just does. So what we've done, there's there's so much more here, and I'm not going to be able to cover it all, but what we've done is we've pointed out the facts that you have politicians that have been in bed, again, with the very rich, big power companies. And there's you know one other example here. The Texas Public Utility Commission, they did hire experts. Uh, in 2014, they tried to get some changes that would make it a requirement that energy companies identify and address any and all potential failure points on the power grid. And that included any effects of, quote, weather design limits. And there was a power company called Luminant. They fought it. They argued against the proposal. And they to- Luminant told the, pod, the commission that, quote, each weather event is dynamic and engin- any engineering analysis that attempted to identify a specific weather design limit would be rendered meaningless. Okay, nonsense. But what happened was the Public Utility Commission was weak. They knew they couldn't do much of anything to them, so they, they kind of watered down the proposal. So it wound up being that instead of these power companies having to identify all possible failure points in their equipment, they would only have to deal with any power, any possible failure, failure points that were previously known, previously known. So if you don't look, you're not going to be held responsible. Think about it. Again, I'm using a lot of of examples here tonight. If your doctor, for instance, was told by your insurance company only test for previously known conditions and refused to consider any other possible problems, no matter how dangerous, how egregious the symptoms, that would be considered criminal neglect. But Luminant and others got away with it. So this policy of convenient neglect set in, okay? And this was reported by ProPublica and the Texas Tribune. And this is just one of, to quote them, quote, one in a series of cascading failures to shield the state's electric grid from winter storms, end quote. Okay? And they go on to say that, you know, once again, this is common, all right? This is that these public utility commissions have no teeth. Because, again, deregulation was allowed. And Pallis is right. It isn't deregulation, it's decriminalization. And besides, besides civil lawsuits, we need to start holding these executives and, yes, their corporate attorneys, if they know about this, we need to hold them criminally responsible. There are some people that need to go to jail. Seriously. This is inexcusable. You would think we were a third world nation. So this is what we're dealing with now. This is why Texas is in the state of affairs that it's in. It had nothing to do with windmills. It had nothing to do with AOC. Think about it. AOC raised, I think at last count, some $4 million to help people in Texas. And all their politicians could do was try and demonize her further. The GOP has no moral compass. They are morally bankrupt. But this was something that was going to happen no matter what. You can't. Maintaining equipment is part of the price of doing business. Period. That's it. And these companies are guilty of criminal negligence. Now, they feel shielded because of the deregulation that George H.W. Bush ordered in 92 at the tail end of his presidency, and that the Democrats, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, did not see fit to challenge, though they should have. And now, and then in 1999, George W. wrote that nonsense law that says they can charge whatever they like, whatever the market will bear. Okay, this is criminality. It's just pure criminality. It is no different than when states declared states rights and they had Jim Crow laws, still a violation of law because these are laws that are not based in justice. That's it. This has to stop people because this is not going to be the end of it. This is the beginning. And if we do not demand to hold these people accountable, these corporate honchos, and yes, these these politicians that do their dirty work for them, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to get bolder. I don't know about you, but I can't afford a $10,000 electric bill. That's thievery. And what, do you, what was that woman getting for $10,000 Because so that people like Jerry Jones can, you know, make more money on a publicly traded company? No. No, this has to stop. And now what we need, you know, the Democrats are in charge now, barely. We need the Biden administration to crack down. We need the Biden administration to demand that the energy sector be properly regulated. And no, no state should be able to tell the federal government what they will and will not obey. That's nonsense. That's the old Articles of Confederation. So now the question is, Will the Democrats, especially the centrist Democrats who've shown no spine thus far, will they grow a spine and grow a conscience and do the right thing? I don't have a whole lot of, of um, hope in that, but I have hope in the what I call aggressive progressives, the squad and the newest member of the squ- newest members of the squad, Jamal Bowman and Corey Bush, God bless them. And what we're going to do on this show, we're going to keep giving these people help, the rich and the powerful, and we're going to hold them accountable. This is not the – this is only the first. This is not going to be the last in a series of shows where we will examine systematically what these companies are doing. So with that in mind, I wish I could offer something more. There just isn't anything more. We've been told we're all in this together, whether it's through power outages or COVID. The only way we're in this together is if we decide we're in this together and that we won't be lured by greed that tries to divide us. That's it. And we need to demand that both parties do their job because no corporation has the right to this level of thievery. So those are our environmental villains for tonight. Uh, Sorry I rambled a bit. This has been the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Mala, and I will see you next week. Good night and God bless.